Welcome to the OIS Podcast, where you get candid conversations with the leaders and drivers of ophthalmic innovation. And now, here's our host, Tom Salemi. Hey, everyone. Tom Salemi here. Welcome back. This is the OIS Podcast. We had a, a great and successful OIS at ASRS. Thank you to all of the attendees and the sponsors who participated in the, uh, the Boston-based event. And uh, we're going to be bringing you some, some great content from the day, the many, many fantastic company presentations that we had on stage, some of the discussions as well. This week, though, in the podcast, we're going to bring a, a wrap-up conversation between uh, three of our co-chairs, Emmett Cunningham of Claris, of course, one of our founding co-chairs, and Mark Humayan, Dr. Mark Humayan, the outgoing president of ASRS, and Dr. John Pollock, the incoming president of ASRS. And we sat down and, and just sort of walked through the days and hit upon some of the highlights. So it was uh, a, a busy, um, it was in a busy room. We had a, uh, a huge crowd behind us sort of wrapping up and, and celebrating the day and, and making, uh, making some great contacts, I'm sure. But uh, I hope you enjoy this interview with uh, three of our co-chairs from OIS at ASRS. And again, thank you to everyone who made it possible, all of our great sponsors, all of our great attendees, and uh, please keep your eyes peeled for content coming out of the day. Well, we're here at the end of our second OIS at ASRS, and I'm pleased to be joined by our co-chairs. We mix it up a little bit. We've got Emmett Cunningham, of course, co-chair of OIS, with our two clinical co-chairs, Mark Mayan and John Pollock. Thank you for all your work on this event, gentlemen. What was your sense overall of the day? I was happy with it. I yep. thought it's a second great event, good partnership, ASRS-OIS. I was very happy and proud. How about you all? Yeah, I think this is a, you know, a great addition to the ASRS, having it you know, prior to the meeting. I think that you know, physicians want access to early stage uh, companies and data that's coming through, and this is a, a great uh, forum for us to gain access to that information. Yeah, very, very complimentary. Got a lot of great uh, input from people who attended, so I'm glad we're doing it. And I think it's a pretty big success, even though it's the second one. It's already off to a great start. That's a great second start, and it's really noisy in here, so it's a lot of activity. But we opened up with some company presentations, both public and private. Private companies, we had a lot of early-stage companies. I'm usually stuck here with three VCs, so they have a different perspective than the, than the MDs. I'm curious, how do you folks view the, the really early-stage companies? With excitement, with, you know... Call me in a year or two when you've got some more data. What was your sense of the, of the presentations this morning? Well, I love early stage companies. I love research and development. I split my time 50% seeing patients, 50% really working in early stage technology. So it's really a breath of fresh air. I mean, it's, it's really tough from an investment standpoint. Emmett can talk to invest so early on when there isn't really proof of concept. Uh, maybe there's just a proof of principle, but I really enjoy them. And, you know, I hope there's a venue to have more of them in ophthalmology uh, because some of them are definitely going to hit. John, are you encouraged by what you see coming down the pipe? Uh, you know, I am. I think that, you know, things are changing. We, we're looking at, you know, how much vision can we gain? And uh, there's a little bit less talk about that and more talk about, you know, how long can we maintain those vision gains we have? And I suspect that, you know, after we establish durability in the, you know, six-month, maybe longer range, then we'll start talking about vision gains again. So this is moving in a very exciting direction. Terrific. And Emmett, 
you, you made a point of trying to get earlier stage companies up there. It's a priority of ours. Uh, yes, uh, well, for two reasons. First, uh, people have asked for it, so they've asked for new and earlier stage companies. And second, because there's no late without early. And yeah. so we have to look and try to see the most promising, most exciting companies. And we, we try to help put those companies on stage. Sometimes it's hard to get at the very earliest those that aren't quite formed yet. They, they either don't know about OAS or they're not ready to come out and give a formal type presentation. But we hope to have more of that. That's terrific. And we had a, a session with uh, improved clinical imaging, uh, improved trials versus th through improved imaging. Uh, some really interesting technologies there, some advances. I had a chance to speak with Francesca Cordero about their technology at the Imperial College. Were you, uh, what was your takeaway from that session, Emmett? I don't know if you physicians have got a chance to see that as well. I'll, I'll start. You know, I, I, was, I wanted that session. I pushed for that session. Francesca's work, I think, is really exciting, and it's um, it, a cell that's dead or not is clearly an important endpoint uh, that we believe we can translate into meaningful functional endpoints. How many cells have to die is a different thing, but knowing whether they're dying is, I think, useful. When you get to secondary measures that are OCT-based and geography-based, it's perhaps not as direct a connection intuitively, but again, I think with time and validation, we'll see that those endpoints will play out too. And it's all directed at uh, easier trials, less costly, less time-consuming trials, which is what we need. The cost of developing drugs, the failure rate, they're just both way too high to make it a, a sort of rapid cycle process, which is ne it needs to be. Any sense from you? Well, I think when you tie a diagnostic to an endpoint like Emmett was talking about, it becomes very, very critical. I would say, you know, the OCT sort of went hand-in-hand -hand with anti-VGFs. You know, if we could just look at edema on OCT, but we couldn't do anything about it using an anti-VGF drug, then perhaps it wouldn't have taken off as well. But really, it's it's that hand-in-hand, -hand, uh, the imaging really providing endpoint parameters and guidance for therapy that's really exciting. So uh, we hope more of these um, imaging programs really uh, come to fruition in, in that way. We followed with the seed stage financing panel, which I thought presented a lot of really useful information. John, I know encouraging retina specialists to be innovative is, is a priority of yours. Uh, what did you take away from that, that panel, and, and what is your sense of the availability for capital and for uh, um, uh, advice for physicians who want to be innovative? Well, you know, well, unfortunately, I was out of the room for that session, so I can't comment on that. So it was fantastic, is what he said. <laughs> we'll, we'll get uh, you back up on that. But, yes, I think that there's actually a, a very large demand for guidance from physicians at a very, very early stage, physicians that have ideas that sometimes are terrific ideas, but they don't have the wherewithal, the, the knowledge to get their idea to the point where they would come to OIS and actually present at OIS. So there's a large gap, an unmet need, uh, for that time period, and I think that's something that you know I'd like to get uh, ASRS to get a little bit more involved in, in providing opportunities for physicians to have access to experts like Emmett and others that can help uh, kind of encourage and accelerate innovation led by physicians. So you have a very innovative course on Sunday. Tell the audience about that, what, what you're doing, when you're doing it, and what you hope to get out of it. Well, this is called the Winning Pitch Challenge, and it's, uh, it's sort of a retina shark tank. And the idea here, again, is to uh, elicit ideas from uh, members of the ASRS and allow them to pitch to a panel of judges. Uh, this year, you know, Emmett and Bill Link and Gene Dewan and others 
uh, are involved in this. And uh, we had 17 submissions. We have four finalists. And this will provide uh, everyone, including those that submit but don't pass on to the final stage, to provide feedback. There's a mentor program to help them develop their pitches. And throughout the year, there's access to information and guidance on how to move your idea forward and uh, develop it to a point where you can decide, is this something worth moving forward and building a team around or not? And we, we followed up with the presentation of Mark Blumenkrantz, speaking of innovation, and, and gave him the OIS Lifetime Innovator Award, which is, Emma, you noted, it's probably about halfway through a lifetime, which is maybe a little premature, but uh, it was a great, great conversation you had with him, and I thought, uh, any takeaways from, from Mark's conversation with you that would be helpful to other innovative physicians out there? Uh, again, I'll, I'll start. I, I, always, I have, We all have these heroes in medicine and ophthalmology who've done so many and so much of the things we hope and would like to do. Uh, I, I always take away from that that a lot more is possible than perhaps we think or understand. I, I always say to younger physicians that you know, if you're smart enough to get here, then doing's not the problem, it's deciding. And if you decide to take the chance, you decide to make the move, often it'll work out uh, one way or another. And, and regardless, you won't know that it didn't. So take the chance and do what your heart tells you to do. And, and so I, that's what I get out of the people I've met who are so, so hugely successful. They, they multitask across multiple areas, and they're usually successful at many of them because they take that chance. And Mark, how about you? You've obviously had some success of your own on the uh, innovation front. Yes, I mean, you know, it's, it's great to have Mark Blumenkrantz uh, as the winner this year. He's really represents someone who has been in academics, somebody who's been went to private practice, came back into academia, and was really able to develop these fantastic things. And as Emmett pointed out, it was really the breadth of his inventions. They're not just instruments they're not just you know gene therapy they're just not just one faceted uh, single faceted invention so it's uh, it was great to see him and it was really well deserved and well recognized uh, for all the work that he's done and in the afternoon you moderated a panel on combination therapy which is really excellent uh, what was your anything you walked away with from that I thought there were a few interesting comments about insurers and the cost of combination therapy how that might play out. Well, what was your takeaway from that session? Well, the combination therapy uh, session was really good. I think it's very timely. You know, how do we improve on what we do have with the anti-VEGF drugs? How can we make things better? But yet to do it in a way that is uh, makes sense for our patients and makes sense for uh, third-party payers. So the discussion was really around that. Uh, we brought in, you know, some science issues. You know, do you co-formulate this? Do you do it... Uh, through a different mechanism? Do you give it sequentially or simultaneously? So we addressed some of the scientific issues as well as, you know, if you were to do it two drugs apart and they're three weeks apart, how would a third-party pair view that and how would they pay for two very expensive drugs? So these are all challenges that we, you know, that we will uh, be seeing. But, you know, these are something that we look forward to. I mean, if we can end up improving the vision in our patients and really making a difference, I think we, we should be looking forward to solving these problems. Um, ultimately, the bottom line is the vision for our patients, and so we have to do everything to strive towards that. And ARS is going to undertake a campaign to sort of help determine the value of this, correct? You've got yeah, so uh, I, I've been involved with that with Praveen and others, uh, basically 
Uh, we're fortunate to have the Schaefer Institute uh, Public uh, Health Policy at USC. They were actually before that at RAND, uh, a very well-known organization. Um, and uh, they're looking at exactly what's the value of vision. Um, you know, you take these very expensive drugs at the end of it, they, you know, uh, lengthen somebody's life by three months or six months, end-stage cancer, they're valued one thing. And of course, if anyone of us had end-stage cancer, we'd want to live three or six months more. Uh, but then how does that compare to, you know, vision for a decade or vision for two decades in diabetics? Um, so those are the kind of things we're looking at. We're also looking beyond just vision quality. Qualities are things that have looked at vision, but this is like going beyond that and saying how, how it influences their life uh, holistically. And these people are really the expert, and we're doing that through the ASRS. We'll have preliminary data here uh, to present in the next few months, and then we'll build on that. And then you can actually build on that structure and answer the question, well, if there was another drug that was added that gave you another line or half a line or it did XYZ in a patient's life, like somebody said, maybe allow them to drive or whatever, you know, what does that mean? So this is a very important study, something I've been wanting to do, and we're able to do it through the ASRS, and we're going to keep you posted and uh, hopefully good things come out of it. That sounds ambitious. Let me, I just wanted to make a Go comment ahead, yeah. on the combination panel, which I, I didn't get to say, obviously, because I wasn't on the panel, but protocols are not patients, but we do protocols to get approval. And what we've learned for most drugs, which tend to have normal dose responses, that is more drug, better response, if you follow the protocol, you get a better response. And as you step away from the protocol, you don't get as good of a response. And the same is probably true for combinations. Now, the great danger, of course, is that when you start introducing more and more drugs, the, the potential for therapeutic flexibility increases sort of geometrically, if not exponentially, because you have all these different potential combina combinations. And one of my concerns, there are several concerns. One concern is how are payers going to respond? Do you have to do exactly what you did in the trial? The second concern is how are patients going to respond? Are they going to lose efficacy because people will do three months of VEGF and two months of ANG2 and, and sort of mix and match and just start losing efficacy? I think what all that's going to translate into, both because the insurance will, insurers will demand it and the patients deserve it, is that we're going to see a lot more trials. So the DRCR, for example, or its equivalent for AMD, hugely important, and people are going to be very busy studying all different permutations, my, my guess. Yeah. And John, you had uh, followed up with the, you led the retinal drug delivery uh, panel, correct? That's, that is some, some ambitious stuff there as well. How, how was your, what was your takeaway from that session? Well, yeah, I think, again, it just uh, demonstrating uh, how exciting a time it really is. Um, we have multiple uh, candidates for you know, outstanding sustained delivery. Uh, at, at slightly different stages of development, uh, but I think that you know in the next several years we're going to go from not having you know many opportunities at all for sustained delivery, other than what the innate ability of the you know, patient's eye are with these drugs that were you know approved for monthly or every other month, to you know multiple potential treatments. And so now we'll have to be deciding you know which long-term treatment to use and why. Anybody any thought on the uh, drug delivery panel? On the what? Thoughts on the drug delivery panel? Or? Uh, it's, it's one of the, it's there, it was there because it's one of the core issues of our, sure. of our subfield. So uh, a delivery to me, compliance in particular, is the, the next uh, major endpoint. And I think it should be. The FDA is not quite there yet because they, they, they want you to demonstrate the difference in efficacy. But I, I think we will get there 
payers are the next step because they're going to want demonstrated functional outcome differences for improved compliance. But I think uh, it's super important and there are lots of companies going after it. And what was the general feeling about the gene therapy uh, area? It's obviously very exciting, very promising, very sorry, ambitious, the gene therapy area. What is Look, it? You know, I, I think you know, that, that's the future, yeah. right? I think that, you know, we talked for 20 years about this and we're sort of treading water. We're progressing very, very slowly. I think that, you know, in the last, you know, several years, I think it's been demonstrated that, you know, gene therapy is going to be used and we have better technologies for, you know, editing and things like that, that, you know, make it seem like really in the next uh, five to 10 years, we're going to have multiple potential candidates out there. And the question is just how customized will you be able to make it? Mark? Well, yeah, I think with CRISPR-Cas, you know, nine coming into play here with gene editing capability, we'll see what happens. It's, it's a challenge. It's hard to pack in some of the regular viral vector type deliveries. Uh, it's a challenge to do it in, in patients, in the eye. Uh, but, you know, that kind of technology, that kind of tool is very exciting uh, because you can truly edit a gene. And so we'll see what comes of it. It's an exciting area. Excellent. And finally, Gil Kleiman wasn't able to join us, but he led the corporate retina panel, which is kind of the sort of our master's panel. Uh, but we've sort of talked to a, another tier of, of leader here. Any takeaways from that uh, session, Emmett, that you saw? Uh, well, maybe I, I, I was happy to see that the space remains so active, mm -hmm. that there are, are major companies with major resources that are still pursuing retinal indications, ophthalmic indications. Uh, so that's all very promising. Um, I think, I, if I were going to give a last word, I would say this year, between this ASRS and next ASRS is hugely important. Uh, we'll, we'll sort of, we'll know if combination therapy has a leg to stand on because we have multiple readouts. We'll know if complement in AMD has any, a leg to stand on because we'll have an important readout. We'll know if sustained release of proteins has a leg to stand out because Genentech has a major readout. And we'll have a better feeling about how sort of uh, applicable gene therapy is because, again, multiple companies are reading out. So these next 12 months, in retina in particular, are hugely important. Uh, negative trials are never good. Having multiple negative trials will be particularly not good, but let's hope that none or few are negative. That's a, that's a, that's a good way to end a conversation. I think, I know that Healthogy and that OIS, we've really enjoyed working with ASRS, and I definitely look forward to having a bigger crowd behind us uh, next year. So thank you all for your work. Thank you both. For thank, you. thank you. Thank you. All right, that is a wrap. Thank you, OIS at ASRS co-chairs, Emmett Cunningham, Mark Humayan, and John Pollock for joining us. Thank you again to all the attendees and all of our great sponsors. Thank you, OIS podcast listeners, for joining us. I'm sorry if you weren't there last week, but I hope this wrap-up helped bring it to you. Finally, don't forget to set aside November 9th 2017 in New Orleans. We'll be hosting OIS at AAO. Please do shoot me an email if you have any comments about the podcast, tom at healthogy.com. Healthogy, of course, is the great company that puts on OIS and the OIS podcast. Thank you to all my Healthogy co-workers for your work last week. Finally, do give us a, a ranking in iTunes if you, um, if you like the podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And of course, tell your friends. That's it, everyone. This is Tom Salemi. Thanks for tuning in to the OIS podcast.